Let us pray. Abba, Father, we come to you this morning asking that you would nourish us and refresh us, Lord, in your word. By your spirit, build us up in our faith so that we may go out from here, may be sent out from here to share the gospel of your amazing love for the world and sending your one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. All this we ask through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. So I have a riddle for us this morning. What is it that we're immune to in our teens and our 20s that we're oblivious to in our 30s that we're overshadowed by in our 40s and our 50s and accompanied by in our 60s and our 70s and our 80s? The answer is death. It's one of the two realities experienced by every single man, woman, and child. And while the thought of the other unifying reality of our lives together, birth, brings joy to our hearts, the prospect of death often fills them with fear. We fear because it makes us powerless. We feel powerless in the face of death. We fear it because it's something that we've never experienced. We don't know what it's going to feel like. And we don't know what will happen after it happens to us. So how do we handle our fear of death. Well, typically we don't think about it. We avoid it. And we don't do practical things that we know that we should, like make a will and buy life insurance. But as we age and our bodies slowly begin to fail us, they whisper to us of our own mortality. Our own bodies remind us that we can't defy death. And the funerals of our friends and our family confront us with the truth that we can't escape it. Being afraid of death doesn't do anything to change the reality of death. Here's the problem, though. If we don't address it, it's going to damage our hearts. It's going to diminish our lives. And it's going to deplete our hope. The reason that we react to death so strongly 
is because God never intended for us to experience it. So everything about death strikes us as absolutely wrong. We were not created for it. Our bodies were not created to fail us. And we were never meant to be separated from God's presence. You see, when God formed and fashioned the very first man and woman and breathed the breath of life into them, God put eternity into their hearts. He put eternity into each one of our own. But in seeking to be like God, Adam and Eve rebelled against him, and they lost eternal life for themselves and for all of us. And in that moment of sin, of rebellion and rejection, fear immediately pierced their hearts. And then God pronounced a terrible judgment upon them. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. Since that day, humanity has been doing things that, like in the words of the poet Dylan Thomas, we've refused to go gently into that good night. We have raged against the dying of our light. And so we dream about finding fountains of youth and magical pools of water and in the human genome. We delude ourselves, even thinking that cryogenically freezing our bodies at death is somehow a good idea. And sometimes our ideas can even become a little demented. Someone right now is experimenting with a new procedure that they're proposing to perform on someone that they've dubbed heaven, a head anastomosis venture. For our non-neurosurgeons here, a head transplant. Our fear of death has caused us to strive against the 0% odds that we have of defeating death in our own strength. And it causes us to strive and strive and strive rather than to surrender to the love of God who solves the problem for us. The gospel is this. Death has lost its sting. This good news speaks directly into our fear and points us to the only one who in all of history has conquered death, and promises that he is the resurrection and he is the life. That whoever has faith in him shall have life even though he die. And everyone who has life and has committed to him in faith shall not die forever. 
This is the promise that's been passed down to us generation after generation, all the way back to the people that saw with their very own eyes the resurrected one, the one who died the most gruesome death imaginable, death on a cross, and then took up his life again three days later. It's that promise that has the power to heal our damaged hearts, to redeem our diminished lives, and to fill us with hope overflowing. It's a promise that Jesus talked about all the time. He talked about his own resurrection a lot. It's just that no one seemed to really understand it until he did it. To be fair, Jesus could be fairly cryptic. You know, once when people were in the temple courts, they were challenging his authority to do what he was doing there. And he responded to them and said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up again. On another occasion, he's talking to a Pharisee named Nicodemus, and he starts talking about how the Son of Man has to be lifted up like Moses lifted up that snake in the wilderness so that all who believed in him would have eternal life. And then later, he talked about having power and authority to lay down his life and then to take it up again. People didn't understand. Even his own disciples, who he would speak plainly to in private, they doubted. And once when he was talking about the fact that he was going to have to die, they even rebuked him for it. But because of what Jesus accomplished in his death and in his resurrection, those same disciples came to believe, they came to know with a certainty that the promise was true. And it's this promise, this last truth that we confess in this creed that's been passed down to us over the last 2,000 years. It's the creed that we profess when we begin worship. Because of who Jesus is and what he has done, we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Jesus delivered on his promise about his own resurrection from the dead, and because of that, we can trust that he will make good on his promises to all of us who have faith and believe in him, that he will do the very same thing for us. It's a promise that casts out the fear in our heart. Death loses its power because it's no longer some great unknown. And because we know Jesus, we know the one that has gone before us and is the way back into God's presence. Jesus is the truth that sets us free from the power of death. And Jesus is the life. And he offers that same unending and abundant life in himself to all who repent and believe. So we don't have to be afraid, y'all. Not if we have faith. Jesus has overcome death. And because of who he is and what he has done, we will overcome it too.
So what does Jesus and the rest of his word tell us who believe in him about the resurrection of our bodies and what the life everlasting will look like? First, we can be sure that unless he returns before we die, death will not be the end for us. Our bodies will perish. To dust we shall return. But our souls will live on with God awaiting his glorious return and our own resurrection, our own restoration to a spiritual body that Jesus will give us. And in that in-between time, we can be certain that we will be with the Lord. It's what Jesus promised to the thief that was hanging just a few feet from him as he was being crucified. Remember what he said, Jesus, remember me when you come in to your kingdom. And Jesus replied, this day, this day, you will be with me in paradise. And it's what the apostle Paul was so confident of as he wrote to the church in Corinth just a few decades later, saying that he actually preferred to be absent from his body because he knew that that would mean that he was home with the Lord. It changed everything for the Apostle Paul. His belief in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting should change everything for us. And then Jesus says that on the great day of his return, each and every one of us will be given resurrected bodies by the Lord Jesus. Just listen to what Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians 15, where he compares our earthly bodies to our resurrected ones. He says that our earthly bodies are perishable, but our spiritual bodies, our resurrected bodies, will be raised imperishable. Our earthly bodies are weak, but our resurrected bodies will be powerful. They won't be subject to aging, sickness, illness, or death. We won't be ghosts. Our eternal presence in the existence of God, in the presence of God, will be a bodily presence. Just as in the garden when God formed man and woman for the first time, he joined a soul with a body, one person so too our resurrected existence will be body and soul in one person, eternally worshiping and glorifying the Lord. And there's going to be a connection between our earthly bodies and our resurrected ones. We won't be shocked if there's a mirror up there and we look into it. We're still going to recognize ourselves and others will recognize us just like the disciples recognized the Lord Jesus when they saw him. But seeing our bodies in the mirror will take our breath away. The magnificence and the glory of our resurrected bodies will astonish us. And our resurrected bodies will match, express, and serve our redeemed humanity, being fully renewed in Christ's image and fully glorified in him. I'm actually really excited about what this means for my own body. 
20 years old, I had to have, I, I blew out my knee and I've had two knee surgeries since. I've already got the worst kind of arthritis in my left knee. I experience pain pretty frequently in this knee. It doesn't keep me from playing basketball from time to time, but you know. My right eye doesn't have perfect vision. It's nearsighted. I don't see clearly. And guess what? That throws off my shot. You know? At least that's what I tell myself. And, you know, at 38 years old, I feel the age in my body that I couldn't feel even just 20 years ago. Just imagine what it's going to be like for you. In our resurrected bodies, the, the glory that they will have because of what Jesus does for us, that's just the beginning. As Jesus ushers in the new heavens and the new earth and accomplishes his work of making all things new, Jesus has given us this amazing picture of what the life everlasting is going to look like. It's going to begin with him gently wiping away every tear from our eyes. All of the pain and all of the, the suffering that we've endured in this earthly existence Jesus is going to touch and heal and redeem. We may still bear some scars. Just as Jesus continues to bear the scars of his own resurrection, but they're not going to be marks of pain. They're going to be badges of honor. And our hearts, guys, our hearts aren't going to hurt any longer like they so often hurt right now. There's not going to be any more mourning. There's not going to be any more grief. We won't cry anymore because the things in life that pain us the most will be no more. And death itself will be defeated. Death will be no more. But that's not even the best part yet. The very best part of the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting is that we get to be in the glorious presence of God. We will see Jesus face to face. We'll know him intimately and completely. And if we can even bring ourselves to look around, to somehow look away from his face for even just a moment. We're going to see the faces of resurrected believers from every tribe and nation gathered around him in this new heaven and in this new earth, praising and serving God joyfully with all of who they are and bringing God glory for all eternity. This truth, this thing that we believe, this thing that we know for certain to be true, it's just astounding to contemplate. It makes us cry out, Maranatha, Lord, come, Jesus, come. But until he does, until he returns, this truth should change how we live. This truth should be one that we respond to gratefully, with our lives, with our hearts, with all of who we are. It should make a difference in how we treat our earthly bodies. 
God has given us vessels of honor and dignity. He created our bodies good, and so we should honor them. Being careful not to go to the extreme of worshiping them, but also not mistreating or abusing them. We shouldn't do any violence or harm to them, demean them or violate them in any way. And we certainly shouldn't do that to the bodies of others. We shouldn't use our bodies shamefully for our own pleasure. We shouldn't enslave them to substances. Because even though our bodies are subject to decay and death, they were created good by God. And they deserve, like everything else in God's good creation, to be stewarded well. And what we believe should also express itself in our hearts. It's a promise, it's a truth that should fill our hearts with gratitude, with appreciation, with expectation. We can appreciate the life that God has given us right here, joyfully expecting the fullness of the transformation, body and soul that is to come when we are made into the likeness of Christ, completed in his likeness, and God does his work of ushering in his kingdom and renewing the whole creation. We're going to get to hear those words in person. Behold, I've made all things new. And it's through the lens of the eternal love that God has for each one of us that our hearts can endure the difficulties and the sufferings of this life and even persevere through the hostility and the persecution of believing what it is we believe, of holding to the faith, knowing, having the sure knowledge that those things will continue to come in this life. But our hope is in the Lord. There's one more way that we can gratefully respond this morning. It's in coming to the table of our resurrected one. It's taking the celebration, the truth of his promise seriously and making this truly a celebration. Coming to the great banquet table, knowing that this, what we receive here in Jesus' body and his blood, is a foretaste. It's a glimpse into the glory that awaits us when Jesus will usher us into his presence and call us to himself for all eternity. We believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that by your death, you took away the sting of death. Grant to each one of us, we pray, the grace to follow in faith where you have led the way, that we may at length fall asleep peacefully in you and wake up in your likeness. All this we ask for your tender mercy's sake and gratefully 
in your mighty and powerful name. Amen.